Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> so, uh, Maddie, in the uh, Torah portion for this morning, the opening words of the second part of the portion, because it's a double one, it was uh, years and years ago, I had the very good fortune when I lived in Israel and studied in Israel, at bar University, where I got my degree, um, one of Israel's foremost theologians would come and visit us every other week on Friday mornings to speak to us. Um, at the beginning, I'll tell you a little story. So at the beginning, uh, he was quite old. His name was Yeshayahu Leibovitch, and Leibovitch was probably in his 80s. And uh, what happens, certainly for people back then, because we have better dental care today, but lots of people had dentures back then, and uh, he had very poor-fitting dentures. So they were rattling in his mouth all the time. So uh, when, I was, when I went to Israel for my first year of study, I was 18 years old. I mean, I had went through Jewish education my whole life, but my Hebrew wasn't so good that I felt confident. And so I wanted to sit as close as possible to him that I could hear every word. Little did I realize that the closer you sit to somebody who has ill-fitting dentures, you also get spit on a lot. But in any event, Leibovitch, who was a brilliant man, he was a biochemist, he had a PhD in psychology, he taught in the biochemistry department of Hebrew University, he also chaired the biblical literature department at Hebrew University. He was a busy guy, but he loved the opening words of one of the Torah portions for this morning, Kedoshim. And what did he love about it? I'll tell you. What he loved about Kedoshim, Maddie, is is that it begins with the words, Kedoshim Tihyu, meaning that you should be holy. And my teacher, Leibovitch, once said, it doesn't say that you are holy. It doesn't say that you will be holy. It says that you should be. And how do we make that happen, Leibovitch would say? We make that happen by striving to be better people. It's not guaranteed, but if we work at it and commit ourselves to it and devote ourselves to all the things that you saw here this morning, Maddie, in a shul, on Shabbat, even under the most trying of circumstances, this was the place and this was the time that you would be celebrating your bar mitzvah. And I know that those values that are close to the hearts of your mother and father and your family who can see us, but we can't see them, but you feel them nonetheless, that if you take those values and you apply them in the course of your life, the words, Kedoshim Tihiyu, you should be holy, will not simply be a wish. It'll be a reality. So mazel tov to you. Now, there are some gifts over here. So after the service, yes, I know. So after the service, you can go over and uh, get it. So um, we've been in isolation, quarantine, slash shutdown for six weeks, about six weeks. Okay. So uh, I've come to realize the wisdom of the great Jewish comedian, Sam Levinson. Levinson once said that he knows that, in fact, insanity is hereditary. He says you get it from your children. And uh, certainly, <laughs> everyone knows how true this is now, uh, certainly after these weeks and weeks of being together, uh, yes, there have been accrued beauties uh, and treasures to be found in it, but the slow 
creeping insanity that comes from spending a lot of time together with your children and for the kids also a lot of time with mom and dad. Well, Sam Levinson had his finger exactly where it should be. But on a deeper level, we understand, and it's become apparent to me also over these past weeks, of the way that people used to live not very long ago. I remember reading, it was Yuval Harari uh, in his book uh, Homo Sapiens who, who wrote, um, up until about 150 years ago, the average human being never wandered more than five miles from where they were born. And that impacted a great deal about what happened to us genetically, but it also impacted a great deal that happens to us sociologically. And then today, of course, it is seldom that we ever spend anything less than five miles away from our home in any given day. We are always traveling. Human life today, up until six weeks ago, was a never-ending assault, attack on conquering space. We needed to go from here to there. We were always jumping to the next place the next time we needed to be somewhere. And I was no immune to this. It happened to me as well. My life was punctuated not only with trips in the city from here and there, but my travel schedule just flying from place to place. I would log on to the Air Canada, um, to their website, and they would have weekly updates on how many flights I had taken and how many miles I had crossed. And never did I stop for a moment to think, not where I was going, but what I had been leaving. Over these past few weeks, I have come to realize that the true, the better Jewish story that we see from the very beginning of the biblical literature is that the story of the Jews is a story of families. The very beginning, the opening words of the Torah is about the formation of families. And that's because Judaism believed and argued that the way that the world would be shaped and created and changed would not be in boardrooms and it would not be in schoolrooms, but that Jewish life would be and human life would be shaped and changed by things that happened in our family rooms and in our kitchen tables. And over these past few weeks, it has become profoundly apparent to me about just how true that is sitting down on a daily schedule of having meals together and not having where to run has made me appreciate just how important it is that parents and children are connected to each other. As much as the children need it, the parents need it too. Because it reminds us of the hierarchy that must exist in life. Now, to be clear and sure, Judaism didn't only say that human life would be changed solely by what happens in the home. We believe that the home was the great generator of change in life and that outside of the human home, outside of our homes, that that change to human life would occur in two places. It says that wherever Jews go, they do two things. What do you think it is? Not just eat, Maddie. Wherever Jews go, they do two things, we are told. They build schools and they build hospitals. Now, a few months ago, in my first part of my sabbatical, I was in Berlin. And when I was in Berlin, I was contacted by the German embassy asking me that there was a visiting delegation of Canadian reporters 
doing some sightseeing and, ex and exploring of Germany at the courtesy of the German government. And they asked if I would have an afternoon to spend with them to explain what it was, what Jewish life in Germany actually was. Now, I'm not a great expert on it, but my English is pretty good. And they figured, given my exposure to German, Germany and Jewish life in Germany, that I'd be a good person to talk to. So there was a half dozen Canadian reporters um, from uh, the Globe and Mail and uh, some newspapers out west and whatnot. So we had a wonderful roundtable discussion. One of the reporters was Elizabeth Renzetti, who writes for the Globe and Mail. And then afterwards, we also met for a coffee a few days later about a different subject. And then recently, she wrote an article in the Globe I want to point out to you. She pointed out that one of the things that we've discovered over the past six weeks, maybe two months, in this country, with the coronavirus and COVID, is who are the winners and losers? The losers, well, the winners, maybe we can argue over. There's differing degrees of winning. But the losers, we know. Anybody over the age of 70? Anybody who has an aged infirmity and they're in a home? They've been a loser. More than 50% of all the fatalities that have occurred because of this virus has been and has affected people who are aged and in homes. Now, in the Western world, for those of you who follow politics will know that there is a fair degree of what people call identity politics that play out in our daily dialogue as a society. But I would say to you that ageism is not about identity politics. There is no identity politics when it comes to ageism. Ageism, which actually is an attitude of discrimination against people who are older, is not a kind of identity politic. It's a deep base discrimination and twisting of our perspective as a world. We are so deeply invested in things that are young and people who are young and things that are new. And we have such a deep-seated, seated distrust of those things that are aged and old. It can be witnessed in the tearing down of old neighborhoods and old buildings. It can also be seen in the rejection of religion and older attitudes. The sense that things must always be replaced that the wisdom, the collective wisdom of both individuals and religion has is something that is outdated and no longer to be heard. And the outcome of all of that attitude is found in what we see in the old age homes. Poor care given to people. I know, I go to them. Even when I walk into, into the Jewish old age homes, it reeks of neglect and sadness. And how many times am I told by the people who work in these institutions of all the family that doesn't come to visit, of all the people who don't attend to their needs, that unless someone who is aged is able-bodied and strong and wealthy enough to take care of themselves, well, we don't really seem to have enough time for them at all. Over the past number of years, I've had the very deep honor of being on the uh, on the Jewish Christian Medical Ethics Board of the University Health Network. 
and it's been working with them to try to establish standards of care in accordance with the ethics of both our faith and the Christian faith and of the wider society. And in med medical ethics, we understand that there are two great categories that we live by. And those two categories are what we call curing and caring. I'll give you an example. The medical directive of curing somebody, you have a 20-year-old who's involved in a terrible car accident, has broken a lot of bones in their body. The medical establishment will break all of the bones to reset them, putting this person through a year, year and a half of great pain and rehab because they know that this person's going to have a 20 years old, God willing, 60, 65, maybe 70, God willing, even more of good years. So they're going to put them through a lot of pain in order to ensure that they can be cured completely. And by the same token, if you have an 80-year-old person who comes in in the same accident, has broken multiple bones in their body, will they look to cure the person? No. And rightly so. You have to be realistic. So if you can't cure somebody, then what do you do? Then you care for them. You look after them. You make them as comfortable as possible. You give them respectful and dignified places to live in order to care for them. Matting the Torah portion for this morning, right after those introductory words that I shared with you, it says, Ish imova aviv tira'u, that your mother and father you should fear. The great Spanish commentator, rabbinic commentator, who lived um, about 700 years ago, his name was Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says, and he connects it further with what comes later on in the book of Deuteronomy. It says that whoever honors their mother and father, that they will be blessed with long years on this earth. In other words, the argument is said, it is being made, that if you respect and honor your mother and father, if you give proper respect to your parents, which is also one of the Ten Commandments here, that as a reward for that, and for the record, of course, we know that most of the mitzvot in the Torah have no reward or punishment to them. None whatsoever. This is one of the only ones that we are told has a direct reward for it. That you will be blessed with long years, a long life, if you honor your mother and your father. But as I was reading the commentary of the Ibn Ezra this morning, something else occurred to me. Perhaps it is not that God will bless us as a reward for long years if we honor our parents, that our long years will not come because God is rewarding us and blessing us directly. Maybe it is because that our children see what we do that if we care for our parents as they age and they are entitled to the care and cure that will extend their lives, then when we're in that position, that our children will understand how to care for us. It is, as the, as the famous Irish saying is, as the child sees, the child does. Maddie, you should be blessed with seeing, and I know, at the hands and hearts of your parents, many beautiful things. And that in turn, you will do many beautiful things. 
and that you will inspire your children to do what your parents have done for you. Shabbat shalom, everyone, and mazel tov. Mazel tov, everyone.